be seated. We are really blessed to have Carl Faze here to join with us this morning to share a special Father's Day message. And uh, I should mention too, while Carl's coming, at our first service, we had another baptism. Nick, who's here, jump on your feet, Nick. Nick got baptised at our 8am service. He's just here enjoying a powerful, powerful story as well. And um, if you've been thinking about baptism, we'd love to chat to you as well. We'd love to um, talk to you around that journey. But Carl, thank you for coming up. For those who don't know, Carl is the CEO of Olive Tree Media, producing some amazing resources for the church here in Australia and beyond. Um, there are actually some resources left. I think the 8 o'clock took most of them. Uh, but there are some resources there on the table and just producing some amazing material um, for us. And we've done some of the series there as well. And uh, thanks for coming up from Sydney to be here with us. You're very much a part of our church family. So can we welcome Carl as he comes just to thank share you. with us thank today? Thanks, Thank you. Well, what a service to be at. Bruno and Fernando, what, that was just fantastic. Nick in the first service, Noah's d- dedication, and uh, I'm feeling like the also ran here. <laughs> I mean, there's so much great stuff happening. It's wonderful to be here. I brought up uh, some resources for those of you who forgot to buy a Father's Day present. And I was going to, two, two for $10, I'm going to, these are available. But clearly the first service forgot their Father's Day presents more than anybody I've known. So uh, they're all gone. But if you really feel like you'd want some of these stuff of life, it's just on how to get through life, basically. Uh, from a Christian perspective, uh, we still offer you the two for $10. See James at the table. Pay for, your, for the two for $10. We'll ship them all up. You can pick them up next week. There's a challenge. You'll have to be in church two weeks in a row. Uh, tonight, I'm going to be back here tonight at the 4 at, and uh, 5.30 service. And I'm going to be talking about our new series, Faith Runs Deep. So when I come back tonight, I'll be talking about something different. But this is an opportunity on Father's Day to talk about being a dad. And, and it's, a, it's a mixed blessing being a dad, isn't it? Because in a sense, you know, we deal with our own fathers who for all of us, you know, some of us, that, that, that wasn't a great experience. And we like to idolise the idea of being a dad, and yet we look at some of our own lives, and, and, the, and the role model that we're trying to build our fathering off was not great. And I'm going to come back to that later. And then, you know, you spend all of your life trying to get through as a dad. If you're here and you've got toddlers and little kids, I'm mean, not sure what your Father's Day's been like so far, but for some of you, being a dad this morning was actually a great challenge. And you come here and you've only just made it. And, and whether it's this morning or the last week or the last month, being a dad, there's a whole bunch of moments where you think, that was not my greatest moment. And, and often we, as I said before about our dads, they weren't the people that they should have been sometimes. And you don't get any training for this. And then suddenly you've, you've got this little baby and you're wondering about how you're going to cope. Good mate of mine remembers when he had his first child and he was leaving the, ba- the hospital carrying his baby in the, in, the, in the car seat and he was on his way out and he said he fully expected before he left the building that someone would stop him at the doors of the hospital and say, what are you doing? Where are you going with that child? You have no idea what you're doing. And he would have said, you're absolutely right. And I can still remember and you would still remember if you had children, Noah's dad and mum, you know, when you get home with your first child and you put them in the, the cot and they're asleep and you lie in your bed and you're just lying there fully awake going, what if they wake up? What am I going to do then? And it's, it's kind of terrifying. And it, in some ways it doesn't get any easier. And often dads, I know, you know, mums, this is all true for you too. But for dads, I'm speaking to the blokes here this morning, the dads here this morning, the grandfathers here this morning. We often go through life feeling... 
a bit like a failure as a dad. And I want to say to you today, I've got a whole bunch of bits and pieces I want to say that I hope will be helpful. But I want to say right now, if you wake up every day and you think to yourself, I'm going to be the best dad I can be. I'm going to love my kids. I'm going to give myself to my kids. I just want to say to you right now, good on you. Well done. Get up every day and give it your best. You know, I failed, you failed, people around us will fail, but at least you're giving it a go. And it's really interesting to think about Jesus when he was giving a thing called the Sermon on the Mount, it's chapter seven, he was, he was trying to give an example of how God gives, gives to us what we ask for, ask and you'll receive, you know that, that, that verse. And Jesus gives an example, he tries to give an example of what's, what's one of the best examples in the world of people who care for those around them. And guess what Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount? Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you, though you're evil, know how to give good things to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give to those who ask? Jesus recognises one of the best examples in all of the world of people who care and love and give are dads and mums. And if you're trying to do that, good on you. But here's some parameters. I want to give you some parameters. Three things that you aren't as a dad and three things that your children aren't. And I hope that today, this week and the years ahead, they, these might be some encouragement to you, some guidelines to you, ways of thinking about being a dad. Three things that you aren't as a dad. One, you aren't a concierge service. Your, your job as a dad is not to spend all your time running around after your children, giving them everything they want all of the time. That's not your job. And sometimes we think that is our job. We love our kids. As Jesus said, we want to give the best to them. And so we constantly give them everything that they need. This, this for me, is epitomised by this picture. You remember going to school. Some of you will be doing it this week. Going to the school gate to pick up your children. And there's a little routine that happens between parents and children. I've noticed it all the time. The kids are all coming out of school. They've had a long day at school. They're carrying their school bags. The dutiful parent is standing there waiting and the kid comes along and as they get to their parent, there's a greeting and the next little kind of process is they drop their bag at their, kids, their parents' feet and their parents pick it up and carry the bag back to the car or that walk to the house. And I remember doing this very early on and my kids came out and dropped their bag at my feet and I looked down and said, that's not my bag. That's your bag. You carry your bag. Now, some of you are thinking, oh, what a heartless sod. And you're probably right. But here's the deal. It's their bag. Your role, our role, my role as a dad is to help my kids take responsibility for their stuff. That's not being slack. That's being a dad. And the idea that, you know, you spend all of your, your life giving your kids everything they want helps them gives them this worldview that the whole world revolves around them. Now, the interesting thing is when you're five, thinking the whole world revolves around you, that's okay. When you're 25, that's not so good. And somewhere between five and 25, something has to change. And one of the things that has to change, that dads and mums, you're not your concierge service for your kid. You're their parent. And the second thing is you're not your child's best friend. You're not their concierge service and you're not your child's best friend. Your role as a dad is to be their dad, not their best friend. And the interesting thing is your child, no matter what age they are now, whether they're mature adults or whether they're little kids, 
they will have dozens and dozens and dozens of friends through their life that will change and revolve all the time. They will have one dad and one mum, and that's your job. Your job is to love your kids and be their parent, not their best friend. And the problem with trying to be their best friend is we all have this desire to be liked, or is that just me? You have this desire to be liked. You want people to like you. You especially want your children to like you. But if your desire is to have your children like you, you will not make the choices that you need to make because you're their father. And as their father, you will say no. As their father and mother, you'll put guidelines. And if your desire is to be their best friend, somehow you probably will not stick to those guidelines and build those guidelines for your children. And the third thing to say, you are not, you are not their concierge service, you are not their best friend, and you are never defunct. You are always your children's dad. That's your job. And there's two ways that we become defunct in the world. One is, as our children get older, and they have their own families, and they're busy, and they're getting on with their life, and you can kind of feel like, well, you're now, you're now gone. You're not part of their life. You're not, real, you're not important. And every one of you here that's a grandparent, you have an important role. The important thing about that role is, you've gone from being the directive parent, which you can be as they're, when they're five, as a child, to being a consultant. You're a consultant. In other words, you give your opinion when you're asked. If you run a business and some consultant walks into the front door of your business and starts giving you advice that you didn't ask for, what's your response? You're not particularly interested. Don't be surprised if your children end up in the same space. If you are the commentator of your children's life on an ongoing basis, giving your opinion when it's not asked, it will not go well. But if you see yourself as somebody who's still a dad, still a mum, still a parent, still involved, but loving and giving your advice, your responses, your ideas when you're asked, that will work well. But the second thing is, that one, you're not defunct because your kids get old, but two, you're not defunct when a parent and a family breaks down. Now, one of the things that we have in, in society, in a group as large as this, there'll be a number of you in this space, and, it's, and, I'm, I'm, and for men, this is mostly more difficult. I heard a, about a court case just the other week where a, where a father was desperate to get access to his child. And even though the mother was, was, was acting in really unhelpful ways, um, unhelpful for the child, the father was still denied access. And our court system and our family system and our society system tends to work that when there's a, a, a disagreement and a breakdown in the family, the fathers are often sidelined. Not always, but often. And if you're in that situation and you're thinking, oh, you know, that's it. My, my children, my access to my children, their future is, is out of my hands. I'm, it's almost like I'm not, I don't have a role anymore. Yes, you do. You have a role. And, and I want to say this carefully. Fight for that role. I don't mean fight for it inappropriately. I don't mean become a stalker and somebody that's just awful and obnoxious and oppressive. I don't mean that. But don't give up. Don't give up on your children. Don't give up on your place. Don't give up on your rights. And even if the breakdown in the family has happened because of your own disappointing decisions. I mean, I have a good mate of mine who, who uh, he, he made some really poor choices. And because of those poor choices, his, his family uh, broke up. And his children, who were late teenagers at the time of those choices, were really disappointed in the dis choices that he made. So disappointed, they didn't want to have anything to do with him. And my mate, just his, his attitude was, I'm going to hang in there. 
And at some point, we'll have a relationship. And I'm going to keep ringing. I'm going to keep sending cards. I don't mean every day. I mean on a regular basis. I'm going to be there to say, I'm open. When you're ready, I'm ready to be your dad. And you know what? He has a reasonable relationship with his children now and his grandchildren because he's kept turning up. Men, and there's, only a, there's probably a small group of you in this room right now, I want to say to you, keep turning up. Keep loving your kids. Don't give it away. Don't think that you don't have a role anymore. You're still their dad. So three things that you aren't as a dad, but three things your children are not. Three things to remember that your children are not. And the first is this, your children are not inherently good. There's, there's an interesting kind of... Um, there's this, there's this interesting kind of philosophy and ideology pushing through our society. And the ideology sort of works like this. People are born good and they only go bad because of the way society impacts them. So what we need to do is help people to be just who they feel that they are and pursue their desires and pursue their dreams. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but the notion that they're inherently good and we need to allow them to pursue what they want. And if we get in the road of that, somehow we're doing a wrong thing. People are not inherently good. Children are not inherently good. Have you ever been with a two-year-old? A two-year-old is not inherently good. They're terrorists. I mean, and and here's here's the deal. What do we, there was, I was following a car the other day in in this whole ideology and it was a Mercedes, quite expensive Mercedes, and it had a number plate. And the number plate combinations of letters and, and, and numbers was, be true to you. Now that sounds great, doesn't it? Be true to you. And we all think that's a fantastic statement, be true to you. And the fact that it was attached to a very expensive car seemed to give it more credibility. <laughs> be true to you. Except, you know, think about that. You know what most, a lot of people I know, not all, but a lot of people I know, you know what they're like? They're selfish, self-centered, narcissistic people. Do you want to be true to that? See, this concept that we're inherently good and we've got to be true to ourselves, there's a failing in that because in a lot of ways we're broken people. Romans chapter three, when Paul wrote to a church at Rome, he said this, because uh, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's this notion that from a biblical point of view, what does the Bible say about us as people? that we're not inherently good, we're actually inherently broken. That doesn't mean we're terrible, bad, awful people. It means that we're inherently broken and we need Jesus. Uh, when Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he, he wrote uh, this whole section in chapter, the beginning of chapter two. And in the beginning of chapter two, he was, he's basically saying to the church at Ephesus, you were dead in your sins. In other words, it doesn't mean you were as bad as you can get and you're terrible people. It's saying that we were dead to God and we couldn't fix that. And what do we celebrate with Fernanda and Bruno's uh, baptism this morning? That we've gone from death to life. We've gone from a place where we're dead to, to, to God and the struggles that that creates because we're not inherently good, but because of God's great mercy and God's great love, he sent Jesus to die for us and that we are saved, made right with God by grace, not of ourselves, not by our works. That's God's work. God's work is that we're not inherently good, but what we need to do is understand our relationship with God through the person of Jesus. Now, we know that theologically, and I think that's what the Bible tells us, but if we, if we go back to that children aren't inherently good, what does that mean? Well, part of our role as parents is to set some guidelines and some boundaries on their behaviour 
So to help them kind of direct them through life. Because if you let them do exactly what they want to do, when they want to do it, all of the times and follow, pursue, pursue every one of their desires, the outcome is not great. Now, as I said before, as a, as a consultant, you can't be doing this when they're, they're getting older. But when they're younger children, that's our task. Uh, there's a guy called Jordan Peterson who's written a book called 12 Rules for Life. It's always dangerous in a Christian setting mentioning Jordan Peterson. Half of you will love him, the other half dislike him. I get that. And Jordan Peterson's not a Christian, but he has some, some wise things to say. In his book, 12 Rules for Life, he has one chapter and the title of the chapter is all you need. And the title of the chapter is, do not let your children do anything that makes you dislike them. And it's an interesting, and he's basically the whole, the whole chapter is about directing your children, disciplining, disciplining them, he's not saying physically, but directing your children, giving them guidelines, so they become, they're not people that you dislike. Now, the interesting thing that Peterson says is that everybody will be socialised into behaviour that fits into our society. And he says, you can either do it as a parent or society will do that to your children later. And it's so much better for them is if you do it as a parent. And here's the deal on that. If we go back to what I said before about being liked, if you want to be liked by your children as a dad, if that's your key goal in life, you will not make the decision to say to them, no, that's not a good choice. You're not going to do that. We will not behave like that. And, and that's, that's our struggle. Our struggle is if they're not inherently good and you're not their best friend, you're their parent, you're their dad, then you'll set some boundaries and guidelines. Secondly, they're not inherently good, but secondly, they're not your possession. You do not own your children. You are stewards of a gift that God has given to you. Think about Psalm 139, and we talk about this psalm, and we kind of love this psalm from, a, from ourselves personally and a, a societal level. And here's what the psalmist said. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know them full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, you saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in, you, in your book before one of them came to be. Here's this idea that we, we are, as it were, created by God. We are all individual creations of God. Your children are creations of God. And you get the opportunity to steward them, hold them, love them, guide them. But, but they're their own person. That baby that you're holding, that toddler that's driving you mad, at some point, they'll do their own thing. They'll buy their own houses. That, well, perhaps not in Australia. <laughs> they will get married. They'll have their own children. At some point, they'll move on. If you see them as your possession, that's very difficult because letting them go is difficult. If you see them as stewards that God's gift to you, that you are leading into life, that you will always be their parents, but in essence, they're God's, not yours. You know, and, and the amazing thing is that happens so quickly. You, you, I remember when my kids were some of the, your children's age, Noah and his family, it feels like it will never end. Or is that just me? It feels like, oh gosh, it's gonna go on forever. These children are gonna be toddlers driving me nuts forever. Then all of a sudden they're, leaving school and they're getting married and life moves on. And, and the an intriguing thing is that um, there's, I saw some statistics recently that said this, 75% of your time, your direct time with your children, 
75% of that time will be over by the time they're 12. 90% will be over by the time they're 18. It's a short time. It's a precious time. And it's not a time for you to hold on and possess. It's a time for you to steward and love and guide and release. They're not inherently good. They're not your possession and they're not your redemption either. I come back to this. I said, alluded to it before, but many of us didn't have great childhoods. I'm not saying mine was terrible. I'm just saying many of us didn't have great childhoods. Our parents or our dads especially weren't the people we want them to be. And, and we didn't get to do the things that we wanted to do as kids. And often as dads, we try and relive that when our kids are adults. And sorry, when, when we have our own children, we try and relive that through our children. And it's almost like we want to redeem our childhood through our children. We want to redeem our disappointments through our kids. We want to redeem the things that we desperately wanted to do and put them onto our children. And that's an unhelpful way to live. Jesus is your redemption, not your children. And it, it ends up playing out in really unhelpful ways. I was at my grandson's soccer game, he's five, a few weeks ago. And there was a dad, he's a good guy. He's a good, I'm not being dismissive of this dad. He was a good guy. And what did he want his son to do? Play soccer. He was on my grandson's team. In the first half of the game, he was a bit disinterested. On the second half of the game, he didn't want to play. And when they were rotating the, the reserves on and off as they do at that age bracket, he pushes his son back on the field and his son stood there in the middle of the field crying. Now, I found out from my daughter that his son was slightly on the spectrum and had a few cognitive issues, but here's the deal. Like, I was heartbroken, and I wasn't sure if I was more heartbroken for the kid crying on the field or the dad on the sideline. Because what the dad want? Or maybe he's looking for the next Lionel Messi, or he just wants his kid to have a game of soccer. He just wants his kid to have a go, and that wasn't happening. And, and that's... that's Sometimes it's because we're pushing our kids into areas where we want them to perform, where we couldn't. Your children are not your redemption. Your children are not your opportunity to relive your childhood. And when Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, I quoted that before, in chapter six, he said, dads, don't exasperate your children. Now, we often think about that as a sense of don't, don't over-discipline, don't be too harsh on them, and that's all true. But exasperating your children is trying to force them into areas that they don't want to go to be your redemption. That's unhelpful. So your children aren't inherently good. They're not your possession and not your redemption. And yet all of this often wraps up in the fact that we're disappointed with what our dads were like. And it would be foolish to leave today without actually pointing to this issue of the kind of wound on, wound on a lot of men's hearts because of the way their dad treated them. You know, our dads often weren't the people that they should have been. And partly that's because our grandfather had no idea about being a parent. Our dads had no model to base it off. They were broken and difficult people and they passed that on to you. And there are dads that are kind of, you know, really nervous. I remember I've chatted to guys that were really nervous when their wife was pregnant. And you say, why are you nervous? You know, isn't this wonderful? Your child's coming. And you know what they're nervous about? They're so scared that they're going to be the same dad that their dad was. And that's a painful and difficult thought. And I grew up with a lot of those children. 
because my parents ran a children's home from when I was eight to when I left home at 17, going on 18, I left home early. That house was one big house of 18 children in a revolving door. And many of those kids were in that home because their parents didn't want them or they were so dysfunctional that the government took their parents away from them and put them in the home. Other parents actually came and dropped their kids at the home because they didn't want them. And that came home to me, I've always known that, but it came home to me here in Brisbane, uh, it just in, it was in Brisbane, I was speaking at another church's men's gathering in Brisbane and I finished speaking, I sat down in the front row and a guy sat, was sitting behind me and he started to talk to me. And he said, Carl, you don't know me, but I know you. And I'm here because you're here. And then he said this, when I was three, your mum came out and picked me up out of the sand pit to tell me my mum wasn't coming back. His mum had turned up at the children's home, dropped this little guy there and said, I'll come back. She never came back. Neither did his dad. As far as I know, he's never seen them. Imagine what that does to you. And it's not just people who have dysfunctional families that drop their kids at children's homes. There are people who are doing incredibly well at life and they're just as dysfunctional. Clive Hamilton wrote a book called Affluenza. So written a number of years ago. And the book Affluenza is about the affluenza epidemic in, in countries like Australia. And he talked about the attitudes that, that that often breeds in people. And he talked about a guy who was a merchant banker, incredibly successful, very wealthy, but spent absolutely flat out as a merchant banker all of the time, not giving his family any time. And he had a son who was desperate to spend time with his dad. And one of his son's great memories was one day where his dad took time off work and took him sailing. And it was this fabulous day. Now, as a lot of overworked men do, this guy died early. And the son was now in his early 20s. And he, he, looking through his father's things, he noticed his father's diary. And, and he's, he's, he's looking through the diary and he thought, he'll look through that date where they went, when they went sailing because it was so important to him as a, as a son with his time with his dad. And he looked through the date to see what his dad would write. And he found the date and, and, and in the date his dad wrote, complete waste of a day. It's heartbreaking. It's awful. And we can be incredibly successful and be, be as, as, as disappointing to our children as somebody who dropped their kid at a, a, a children's home and didn't turn up again. And some of you are carrying those wounds. And some of you feel really hurt by all of that. And the, the question is, where do you go with that? What do you do with that? And what do you do with that as a dad? Now, Jesus ha had something to say about that. And uh, Wayne Alcorn, who's a well-known pastor, le church leader here in, in Brisbane, Wayne Alcorn's written a book called My Father's Son. And it's talking about his own dad and his own dad's life and the influence on in his life. And, and the intriguing thing, by the way, his dad was, had a horrific story as a kid, came to faith and then had a very positive impact on Wayne Alcorn's life. But Alcorn does this really interesting and helpful reflection on Luke chapter 3. And in Luke chapter 3, uh, it, Jesus is... Um, has come out of the wilderness. He's just starting his ministry um, after being in the wilderness. And then he goes to his cousin, John the Baptist, to be baptized. As, way, as Fernanda and, and Bruno did this morning. This, but because Jesus wasn't sinful, this was a baptism about committing himself to his father's task in his life. Not saying I was dead to sin and I'm alive to God. But here was this statement of his commitment of following God's purpose for his life in the future. And in, in Luke chapter 3, 
Jesus goes into the water to be baptised. John the Baptist is baptising him. And you'll know this story well. Uh, and you'll know as, as he, when he was baptised and the Holy Spirit de- descended on him in bodily form like a dove. Now, we're not sure exactly what that was, but somehow there was, this, there was a, 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 a visual representation like a dove of the Holy Spirit coming on Jesus. And this is what God says. Then a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I loved with you I am well pleased. For those of you here today who feel the wound of your fathers in your life, who feel the pain of disappointment in the past, who wonder how you get past that in the future, these words are your words. These are for you. Because God actually says to Jesus, you are my son. Now you're probably thinking, well, that's Jesus, clearly it was his son. But in John chapter one, uh, in, in verse 12, when John tells his story of Jesus' life, right in the beginning, he says this, Yet to all who receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What did Fernanda say? What did her brother say to her? You are no longer an orphan. You are a child of God. What is God saying to us? You are a child of God. And if that's true, then what is Jesus saying to you this morning, right now? What is God the Father saying to you? You are my child. You're my son. And what does he then say? Not only are you my son, forget what all experiences you've had in your life, you're my son, I love you. God loves you. Isn't that a beautiful statement? God loves you. Not because you're good, not because you've got it all together, not because you're perfect, God loves you. And that's what we need to hear. And what does he then go on to say? with whom I am well pleased. God's saying to you right now, over you, I'm proud of you. Now, if you're a dad who had a, a, a wound in your past from how your father was, who's trying to work through how to be a dad and you're not sure how you're going and you're feeling a bit of a failure, although you'll never tell anybody because you're an Australian male, you're feeling like a bit of a failure and God is saying to you, put it aside. You're my son. I love you. And I'm pleased, I'm proud of you. And you know what? We've got to learn to say that to our children, especially men. Men, we need to learn to say to our kids, I love you, I'm proud of you. When my kids were really little, tiny babies who couldn't understand a word I was saying, I started saying to them, I love you. Why? Because I was practicing so I could say it when it actually mattered. Tell your kids you love them. Tell your kids you're proud of them. But recognize that we need that for ourselves as well. We need to know that we're loved by God, that we're children of God, that we're not orphans abandoned by the universe to a godless future. God loves you. God reaches out to you. God has given Jesus for you. God is not condemning and judging you. God loves you. So she's proud of you and he wants you to know him. As the band joins me as we're about to wrap this service up, Nathan's gonna come up as well, but let me pray for you. Why don't we just have a moment of silence just as I pray. Is this message your message this morning? Is God speaking to you? Do you know that you need to take not only the step of baptism, but 
the step of following Jesus as Fernanda and Bruno have done. Why don't you pray with me? Just, just in your head, not out aloud, before your heavenly Father. Why don't you pray these words? Jesus, I thank you you love me. I thank you that you came for me. I thank you that I'm your child. Lord, I want to say I'm sorry for how I've lived. I want to ask for your forgiveness. And I want to step into a relationship with you today. Father, we all come to you. Some of us fairly confident about how we go and others just trembling, taking steps forward. And we thank you that you love us, that you're proud of us, that you wrap us around with your spirit. Lord, we pray that you guide us into the future. Pray for every dad here today, that they know they're loved and that would give them the ability to love their kids. Amen. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Carl. If you knew that God was speaking to you this morning, maybe you prayed that prayer just then and you want to know what it means to experience that love of your heavenly Father. Um, and we'd love to help you on that journey. We have some of these Bible gift packs here this morning, and if you don't have your own Bible, we'd love just to give this to you um, to help you on your journey. It's not just a Bible, there's some other information to help you on your journey as well. We'd love just to give that to you. If you prayed that prayer, I really encourage you just to mention that to someone, to say, hey, look, I prayed that this morning. Come and talk to one of us, one of the pastors, one of our prayer team. We'd love just to encourage you on that journey as well. And I want to mention too the Alpha course. We've just finished one of our Alpha courses. We'll be starting another one soon. It's a great course just explains more about what it means to be in relationship with God, what the Christian faith is about, who Jesus is, what he's done for us as well. I really encourage you to jump in on that. I did want to mention too for the men, um, the timing of our Reconnected Man course starting this week is just perfect. And some of the things Carl's spoken to, men, I really want to encourage you, if you're feeling that prompting in your spirit, you you know what, I need to do some business with God, I need some healing in my heart, head along to this course Thursday night here at the church, 7pm, you'll be blessed, you'll be encouraged, you'll be helped in a practical way on that journey. So I want to mention that to you as well. We're going to worship as we give thanks to God, as we conclude our service. Why don't we jump on our feet as we do that and give thanks to God for his blessings to us found through Jesus. Let's thank him together.